Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Intercommunity Peace and Justice Center, where we explore merging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. For this opening episode of season five, I interview Julian Matthews, who's a board member and coordinator for NIMIPU Protecting the Environment, an organization that carries on time-honored sustainable environmental practices in the tradition of the NIMIPU by facilitating and organizing tribal youth and adults in activities for the protection, enhancement, and promotion of Mother Earth and the Nimipu culture. Julian shares about the current work being done around dam removal, protecting salmon, and teaching new generations of young people about Native practices. This episode is a great reminder of why respect and restoration of Indigenous practices is important not only for the preservation of culture, but of Mother Earth. Please note, sensitive and strong language is used during this episode. I'm joined today by Julian Matthews, who is with the NIMIPU Protecting the Environment organization. Welcome, Julian. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. Glad to be here. Thanks. Um, I wanted to start off just by giving you a chance to introduce yourself, maybe uh, who your people are, well, where you call home, um, and what is important to you. Okay. You're saying my name is Julian Matthews, and I'm enrolled in first tribal member. And I live in Pullman, which is within the treaty areas. It's right off the reservation. We have a reservation, 63 reservation. We have the treaty area. That's about, I think it's expanse about 11.5 million acres that we seeded to the federal government, like in exchange for keeping our hunting, fishing, gathering rights. And so we have a lot, we have really good uh, uh, hunting, fishing and gathering rights. A lot lot of tribes are not treaty tribes. It might be executive order or or not, but we we have a treaty and the treaty is an agreement with the U S government, you know, for what we gave up, but we retain certain rights. And so that's um, where like the reservation starts. That's where the tribal headquarters is. It's down by Lapway, about 45 miles south of here. And so we have expansive treaty rights. Like I don't have to live on the reservation or to exercise my treaty rights. Like I can exercise them within the 55 treaty. Then we have fishing rights on the Columbia river down in zone six, when they flooded out Salilo falls, that was a big major bad thing that happened because it was one of the biggest fisheries in the U S or the world actually. And so it's kind of that really like my grandfather, my aunts used to go down there and fish and out, and then they just flooded it out to build Bonneville dam so anyway, I, I've lived here a while. I was in the Navy for six years in San Diego on a, and then went overseas some and then got back out, moved to Coeur d'Alene where I grew up, um, went to college, went to Gonzaga, graduated, then moved back down to Portland for a while, then moved back to my tribe, brought 94, worked there, and then uh, finished uh, master's at U of I, University of Idaho. That's right, about seven miles um, east of where I'm at, right on the border. I'm right on the border in Pullman, so... We started um, doing this, and I started getting more involved in environmental issues when we had, when I was getting involved with Friends of the Clearwater. They work on a lot of the issues within the treaty area and within the wilderness and wellness area because there's a lot of um, people, you know, there's this kind of a timber industry, mining extraction industry, Idaho is, and has that history. And so they're always trying to either go in and build mines, you know, develop mines on the rivers or the, um, and cut the timber, things like that. So I started getting involved with them. And then, about 2000, actually in 2014, there's a big um, mega loads that they're bringing through here, Exxon Mobil, taking up to the Beaver Creek, Creek First Nations, uh, Alberta. And I, we had, I met some people that they came down here. We were, I was meeting with them, talking about what was going on up there. And 
so they met with the tribe and then there when uh, exxon Mobil was trying to bring the megalos we had four days of protest four nights and so then the tribe and the advocates for the west they sued the uh, exxon Mobil in the state of idaho and they blocked it so stopped a couple of them got by but anyway that's when we kind of started elliot my cousin and i and Lucy Simpson and Paulette Jordan, some other people, we said, hey, we need to get this going because we need to have some type of organize, organization that can work on these issues. Because sometimes the tribe may not be as quick as we think they should be, the tribal council and tribal government. So we start setting this thing up and then we start having meetings and tribal environmental summits. And we start doing these flotillas. And so I've been doing this about, and like with this, with the group, Nimipu Protecting the Environment, it's Nespers tribal member run. Like we have the board is primarily Nespers. We have two non-Indians on there. And um, so we're, what we're, we want to do is make sure that like we have environmental summits that are educational for bring people, speakers here. We've had people from Alaska villages where they're trying to do mines. Um, we had um, Lindsay Layla from United Brist Tribes of Bristol Bay where they're, I think they stopped that uh, open pit mine up there on the uh, Pebble Mine, I believe it was called. And so we we bring speakers here to educate the people. Then we have a kids program, youth program that starts next Wednesday, where we they carve one canoe uh, with us and they learn how to carve canoes. They do paddles now, carve paddles and still carving some more canoes. And so then we do arts and crafts, we feed them and they come there. We, we talk to them about the environmental issues, whether it's salmon or grizzly bears or wolves in Idaho. So we're just trying to be kind of an advocate for particularly species that are being impacted, salmon, the salmon, steelhead, and Chinook salmon, elk, um, you know, grizzly bears, and wolves. And and one thing that we made a few years ago, we made the connection, because I was thinking that the orcas, um, their main food source is Chinook salmon, and those are the ones that come up here. So we started working with the Lummi tribe, and they're coming over here Saturday, actually, a bunch of them, for our event, September 30th. And so we started working with them and some other groups up on the um, – I think it's Salish Sea. They have groups mm -hmm. that work on the uh, orca issues. And then when that, and so we started having them come down. We did a few what they call totem journeys. You might want to look that up, or people may not know. It's called the totem journeys. We had three of those come here. They bring a totem that was carved by House of Tears carvers over here. And then we pray over it and and have a ceremony, you know, to pray for the dam breaching and help the orcas and the Chinook salmon that come up here because they're intertwined. And so that's turned out pretty good. And so I've been doing this um, pretty much probably about six, seven years now. And um, so it's turned out pretty good. We, get, we started writing grants. I, we're doing pretty good funding wise. And the main thing, we have a Facebook, a, a website, and we have a lot of assistance from other people. Like like we had our healing journey video was paid for by Earth Justice. Uh, we did that about five or six years ago. They, they were, um, Maggie Caldwell was out of Flotilla and she she asked me, what do I think about having a, a video made of the canoe? And I said, that's cool. <laughs> so they did that. They paid for it, Earth Justice. And, and we still got support from Patagonia, Earth Justice. And I think it's called the Alani Fund. It used to be Group Health, but Sabre Wild Salmon. We work a lot of different groups. Uh, Sierra Club. Actually, I work remotely part-time for Sierra Club right now. Mm, and um, okay. But it's mainly, uh, they set it up so I could just do the stuff I'm doing, fish, fish and wolves and grizzly bears, because they're working on those too. But what I want to bring to them really is a tribal perspective, you know, because mm -hmm. um, it's like I say, when we we talk about fishing for salmon, it's not a, it's not like we're going to buy them and sell them. It's more, you know, like they talk about now, it's a first food. It's been our history and our culture. I mean, we have stories mm -hmm. and uh, stories about salmon and all types of different um 
animals. And so we want to, and, you know, salmon are critical. We're having salmon at this dinner. Most of the uh, ceremonies or services we have include salmon and other first foods. And so we want to protect that, particularly with the salmon, to make sure that this will continue, you know, like we can continue having these um activities with salmon because salmon are an important part of our life, our lives and our culture and history. And so I, I've been doing this for a while and I, I enjoy doing it. I like working with the kids. There's 34th and fifth graders come there every Wednesday. We work with them and do different activities, have elders come and talk to them or students from Wazoo UI talk about, you know, whatever it might be, uh, plants, trees, things like that. We want to give them more of an exposure of what they're not learning in school. Um, mm -hmm. Schools kind of K through 12, like kind of a tribal perspective. And the school's really cool with it. The principal and Bo Whitford, he's been doing it with us for about six years. Now he brings them over every Wednesday. So it's turned out really well. And we have a nice little site there and planted some trees, apple trees and planted some flowers. And they, they like, they planted some pollinators last year. So oh, it's, it turned out pretty cool. Yeah. And I just want to have them learn about my next big adventure is or adventure is to learn how, like develop a little garden where they can learn how to take care of a garden or fruit trees, you know, plant some more fruit trees where they can have fruit because there's not a lot of fruit trees around there, apparently. But, you know, where the kids can come just get some apples or pears or whatever they want that kind of create this kind of um, food source where they don't where it's more natural. And one thing good about our activities is all outside, like they have a Boys and Girls Club at the tribe, but it's all inside. And, you know, we're always trying to get them to do stuff, you know, related to the tribe. And they do some stuff, but it's kind of hard to get them because the Boys and Girls Club has their program set up, you know, like for a standardized yeah, curriculum. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. but I've been doing this for a while and I really enjoy it. And we got a lot of support from the tribal membership. Like you're saying, grassroots, that's kind of what I'm more, I've realized over time is like, if I get the people behind this, keep them informed, like we'll table at, um, like I said, we're having a general council meeting for three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, where the tribal members come and the tribal council gives report, the departments give reports. So I table there, I can get up and say, well, what's the tribe doing about grizzly bears, you know, in Idaho? What's our plan? Or even what's our plan with the dams are breached? I was talking to someone earlier, like, how's that going to work? Are we, you know, are they going to move the, there's four of them, are they going to move the fourth one first and then the rest of them? Or how's, you know, because I want to put them on the spot about, because sometimes, like people can say, like, let's, let's breach the dams, you know, okay, sounds good. But then to me, if we don't have a tangible plan, like, okay, one, two, three, four, mm -hmm. because the silt and all the stuff behind the dams is going to be affecting. So I just like to um, kind of like, particularly with my tribe is, is get them going on this stuff. And like Shannon Wheeler, he's our chairman. He's really going for the dam breaching. It was funny because when we first started it, like Ellie and I did a resolution, our general council, where everyone votes on it. It's like a general membership meeting. And then we passed it. Then the BPA guy got mad at him because we did that because the BPA <laughs> is the one that funds them from the hydroelectric power, stuff like that, you know, where, yeah. but now, and then he got, he was mad. I said, well, what's up? And he goes, well, that guy just called me the BPA guy. And so I said, well, what do you mean? And I, I didn't want to say nothing because I didn't like saying, I don't care. Good. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting some, getting some attention at last. And so yeah. anyway, then now he switched because at first he kind of was mad at us for doing that. But now he switched totally. He's like pro dam reaching, breach the dams. And he's talking and showing that covenant of the salmon people all over going to these different events. So that's really cool. And back to what I was getting at about the community support, you know, we have community support and that's what I, I feel is important is get the people behind you 
And then you can drive the elected officials rather than, you know, like I can go into the council and say, this is what I think we should do. And they'll say, thanks a lot, Julian. You're one person, one vote. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. And then, you know, maybe not, but with the people behind us with resolutions or a number of people behind us, like everyone says, Hey, that's cool, Julian. Yeah, we should do that. I agree. You know, cause a lot of people like, they want us to be more, um, involved with wildlife within our treaty area because our treaty is to me it should have jurisdictional or it says in our constitution bylaws the neptic national tribal executive committee shall have jurisdiction over all lands within the 55 treaty that's pretty clear to me it doesn't say except for the state-owned land and so that's what we're trying to do this jurisdictional issue to say well does the state of idaho or does tribe have the right to determine what happens to the wolves you know they basically want to slaughter Mm. state of idaho Mm -hmm. And same with grizzly bears. They don't even want them coming to the state. They've already tried to delist them. What that means is the state will be able to manage them. Manage to them is usually, you know, kill all of them, as many as they can, because they don't, the ranchers and cattle, cattlemen, they don't like them. And then the state don't like them because the grizzly bears and wolves, they eat elk and deer, and the state makes money off the deer tags, licenses, and all that stuff. And that's what I was getting back to about the mm. uh, commodification is how much money can we, how much money are we losing? You know, rather than saying, okay, well, these animals have the right to exist just like you or I, who was here first? The wolves are here first. The grizzly right. bears were here first. The, the mm-hmm. tribal member, we're here first, you know, so, but it's kind of like still that mentality, like, and I think a lot of it's the U.S. government. They they think they own everything. Mm. Like I asked council one time, we were talking about this, our uh, salmon and river, I said, well, who owns who owns that river? You know, no one said nothing. Because, and I said, no one owns that river. The government don't own it. The U.S. government doesn't own it. Why should they determine what happens to it and keep those dams? Stuff like that. But anyway, um, to me, it's like our efforts are are going pretty good. And we got a lot, bunch of tribes working with us, tribal canoe families, like coming over for this event from Portland and different places. So it's turning out pretty well. And I think people... People like to see like our group or others that are willing to stick their neck out and, you know, say, this is what we want. And this is, you know, because you can't just sit back. If you just sit back, do nothing, you know, they'll keep doing what they're doing and they'll keep screwing over the environment and, you know, killing all the wolves and all that. And I just hate to see that because I just don't feel that way. I feel, you know, I pray and stuff and I feel that these animals are spiritual you know, they all have a spirit and I don't think we should just be able to annihilate them as some type of, you know, because even realistically, they used to think that about Indians. That's what I really equated with. Mm. I remember I read that one encyclical, the Pope said that we're soulless savages. And, you know, so that means you're not a human. And I think that really the dominant culture decides who is valuable and what is that value. And I don't like that. You know, I, Mm -hmm. And, you know, but so anyway, we're trying to, you know, make changes, um, open people's minds, educate them and learn from other people, too. Like I meet with a circle of elders every month and they're the kind of culture keepers. So they're pretty cool. I I like to sit down and talk to them because they have the history, the language. And so it's nice to hear them talk about, you know, the way the fish used to be and the stories about wolves and grizzly bears. They know all those. And so we're trying to make it to where we can tie all this into our tribal culture to where it's, you know, it's it's a part of our history and our culture of being a Nimipu or Nespers of these animals, these species, rather than just, you know, we don't want them here. You know, they're eating elk, get rid of them. That I don't yeah. like that. 
But yeah, but it's the states. A lot of the states. A lot of people think like that. They don't want them. They don't because they eat their cows or whatever. And you know, I figure get the cows off the land. Then you know, like <laughs> <laughs> that's one solution, right? No one's talking about that solution. I yeah. wonder. You know, you've shared a lot about your um what y'all are working toward as far as you know, um, you know, the salmon, the grizzly bears the wolves and all of kind of the different regions and the importance of wildlife. Um, I'm just wondering where um, within your story did your love for the environment become a part of you in that way? You know, you've talked about kind of your journey uh, growing up and being in different parts of the world. Was there, um, you know, a person or a story or an experience that really, um, and it probably, I imagine there's many, <laughs> that you know that have formed you but there's anything is there anything in particular that you can think of maybe that has really helped you um take that message of you know protection of the environment but also this idea of you know animals and spirits um that has just kind of helped you along the way to ground yourself internally yeah i guess i don't know i didn't really formulate one thing i always remember um well i grew up in Lane, and that was a big mining timber industry and my brother worked at Bunker Hill, worked there for a short period of time, but they're mining and they left all this, like you're saying, the tailings, when they cook the ore, then they leave all that black tailings out. They have big settling ponds and all that stuff with lead and zinc and or lead primarily mm-hmm. and all the sulfuric acid and went into the on the water table and went into the river. And it, it's still there to this day because they, they mined that for hundreds of years. And, but I don't know what really, but I do remember when I was in the Navy, they used to throw all the trash over the side or, or off the fan oh. tail they call it. and so things like that just used to make me think wow where's it going you know that's not really that cool you know and and i know they can't really dump trash like have a pickup out in the middle of the ocean but it just those kinds of things and even plastics you know like reading about it and hearing about it and then it just i guess like over the probably the past 15 years or maybe less i just started realizing that you know there's a lot of things that we're doing i'm doing you know, as part of it, the whole deal that is impacting the uh, earth and mother earth, mm. as we call it. And so I just started getting more involved. And then I met other people like Elliot, my cousin. Um, and it, I think when we came together, Elliot and some other people, it was just like, we had this kind of like, yeah, you know, we had kind of similar thinking and, and decided to start working on these issues. And then it, then we started meeting people, start talking to different people. Like I said, the Beaver Creek, when they were doing that megalos protest up there to the, they're trying to drag those megalos, they call them evaporators up to the tar sands. And so, and I've always, I've always felt just kind of that, you know, people have rights, you know, land should, land has rights or not rights necessarily, but that we shouldn't keep exploiting the land mm-hmm. and the w- rivers and that type of thing. And then, with all the things like probably the last 10 years, just all the, you know, fracking and all these different things coming up, plastics, you know, seeing the um, plastic bags, just all this stuff kind of made me realize, you know, like we need to do something, you know, we can't just, and we can't, I know we can't change everything, but even when I went to work at the casino about six years ago, you know, they were, they have all these plastic bottles to give out for their, events and stuff and and they weren't even recycling them i thought god we're an indian tribe and we don't even recycle you know what i mean recycle plastic so then this friend of my jasmine and her and i and ellie we started in uh recycling committee at the casino they never had one they didn't even know what it was but so we bought a bunch of recycling bins and so we placed those throughout now they got a bunch of recycling bins they they start uh 
keeping the plastic. And I was trying to get them to not even use plastic, but I don't know that didn't, I might be able to do something here at general <laughs> council, but you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, uh, and, and I was worried too about the custodians, but they didn't, they didn't say nothing about it. You know, I thought, well, it's kind of create more work for them. They're not very paid, very good, but they all seem to so think it was okay. So they started recycling and then the plastic went down, but now it's kind of coming back to where they can sell it, I guess, to recycle. But Things like that, you know, or like what we use. It's kind of like what we talk to the kids about what we use, like our um, uh, footprint, ecological footprint or, you know, yeah. sustainable. And, you know, that's why I say with packaging, you know, plastic, whatever um, that we're trying to work on. I just felt like I need, I was able to do something and I can do something about it. But like I say, we can't change everything. You know, I'm probably not going to stop them from making plastic maybe they can use some different materials like organic mm -hmm. materials or plant fiber things like that and so i think with that it's um just kind of evolved where i realized that we can do something and educate ourselves and reduce what we use so we don't have you know keep just keep being a part of this whole pollution mechanism you know whether it's use of plastics whatever you know things like that i guess i just want to get more involved in with the Animals, I've always liked animals, and I think wolves and grizzly bears. When you see in Idaho the blatant, how they're just trying to exterminate and basically have all these weird methods of killing them, and then it just burns me up because there's no rationale behind it. It's not like they say, well, we have a certain – and our tribe reintroduced the wolves in Idaho that were gone. They were gone with the mm -hmm. Fish and Wildlife Service, and that was another thing that kind of still irks me. Like our tribe doesn't come out publicly and say something. You know, we help reintroduce them. And I told them I went to these ceremonies with uh, some elders. They did a pipe ceremony. They had a drum, drummer, their drums, did a mm -hmm. song. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, they're saying our, the wolf, our brother, and the, you know, spiritual kin. And now they don't even say nothing about it. the state wants to kill them all. That's, that's the kind of stuff I don't like, you know, mm -hmm. for our tribe not to say nothing because that to me is just they don't want to get involved or they don't want to take the time. And, and so, with our group, that's what I always tell people. I don't represent the tribe. I'm a tribal member. We have tribal members in our group, and this is what I think, and this is what I believe. And so, because, I, I mean, I've seen them fire people for, like, non-Indians, particularly for saying stuff that the tribal council felt they shouldn't have said, you know, like, speaking out of turn, saying the tribe believes this or implying that the tribe. But today with our group, we don't care. I don't care. You know, like people say, what's the tribe think about this? I say, I don't know. Go ask them. <laughs> <laughs> get a better, get a clearer representative, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes even, you, you know, to tell you the truth, the trouble we had a lot with them is working with non, non-Indian NGOs, man. They like, they know nothing about tribes or treaties or reservations or allotment act or, you know, how the Indians were treated because they don't mm -hmm. teach it in the public school system. And so, you know, yeah. it's just like any any ethnic group. Do they teach you about them? No, of course not. Because, you know, we want to learn about George Washington. Like, who cares? George Washington, Abe Lincoln, you know, like, I'd rather learn about some Chief Joseph or Chief Looking Glass, which we do, you know, through programs. But it's kind of like, I just feel that we can all do something and we can get more people organized to do something. Like, with this breaching of the dams, it's turning really good. And then with Biden and, I don't know, Marie Cantwell and, uh, Murray are pretty kind of they don't seem to be publicly speaking about dam breaching but they need to get on get on board and yeah but we're getting more and more people like kind of like what we're doing right now is you know I've had a couple other meetings today and so people want to learn about it and learn about not so much just the kind of legality of but about the treaty rights and the Nez Perce Nimipu 
because, you know, we hear a long time, Chief Joseph is one of the most famous chiefs in the U.S. And so people are interested in and they feel, which is just like the treaty. That's an agreement, like a contractual agreement with the federal government. It's not just, you know, like, hey, yeah, let's, it's a verbal a verbal agreement. It's a written agreement we have. And that's why we're pushing the treaty rights to hunt, fish, and gather, particularly in this case with the dams, to fish. Like mm -hmm. I should, I have the right to go take a fish from that river and not be impeded because there ain't none there because of the dams or whatever. And so that's what we're pushing right now, because I think the treaty probably has the most legal authority of any, anything like, you know, like there's a bunch of commercial fishermen that are into it, you know, but they're commercial fishermen or things like that. So, but the treaty to me is the big impetus that we can use to say, Hey, we have this agreement with you, U.S. government, and you need to fulfill your promise or, you know, give us back what we ceded to you. Yeah. Give us back our land. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, I've um, with the issues y'all are working on, sometimes yeah. folks don't really understand, right, like what those issues are. And, you know, I've luckily been able to hear from you and from other folks that I know that are working in the movement. And I know there was recently an action, I believe was it was just this last past weekend that was related to this campaign um, around the Snake River. I don't know if maybe you want to share a little bit about what that campaign um, is oh, yeah, about. Yeah. And, you know, maybe just even like, you know, when people hear that there are folks working on, you know, issues related to salmon, they might be like, that does like, what's, why is that important? You know, like, why is that a big deal. There's other things we need to be working about or what you were saying, maybe they think, Oh, you, you want control of the salmon so you can make money, you know? And, and I think yeah. that's really not the spirit of what is actually happening. So I wonder if you could share about this, um, that particular issue, since it is something that's kind of being worked on um, right now in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. They started, I think uh, September or the last Monday, they started in Olympia. Then they went down to Portland and then what they're doing is having different, like now they took a work, a piece of art. It has some, like salmon on it. It's a kind of a sculpture and they're taking that around instead of a totem, which they took before, but they're going to different sites and they have gathering speakers. Like one today was in Pasco and then they get a bunch of PR to that, you know, like over here, they're doing a Lewis and Tribune spokesman, all kinds of, we're having a lot of good PR for this one. We're having this Saturday, the 30th down at Hell's Gate, but they're having like a stop. I think there's about five or six stops. And the last one is in um, Seattle for that's kind of the culmination of it, but it's called all the relations journey. And they're bringing um, the events are, they have some of the same speakers, our chairman's talking and then um, Sierra club uh, CEO is going to talk in Seattle on the last one, October 1st, like ours is the 30th. And I think they're going over there on the Sunday night and um, talking, but what it is, is kind of like, they called it uh, all our relations journey. And what we're trying to do is just bring attention to the uh, plight of the salmon. And uh, so the different events, the ones over here will focus primarily on the snake. I think they all focus on the snake because there's the Columbia snake and then the upper Columbia, that's the Cal, uh, uh Yakima tribe and they had that thing in Pasco because that's where the Columbia goes up north and so they're trying to bring it we're, we're not trying we are bringing attention to the plight of the salmon because they go to the ocean down past Portland and come back up spawn and then go back down and the smolts go it's like a cycle of life mm -hmm. for the salmon and so 
we're just bringing attention to that by the different activities and events. And sounds like we're going to have a pretty good turnout over here because people like to go on the water. Ours is the only one that's on the water where we do a little, um, what we call blotilla, where a bunch of people get on the water. Cause that's really what we're trying to get at is the water, what's happening to the water. And albeit we're in the reservoir, that reservoir goes back probably about she's 30 miles. It's just a dam. And then the reservoir pushes all that water back and, so we're just trying to bring attention to the whole issue of salmon recovery, uh, the dams, how they're destroying the runs, and it ain't going to get no better unless they remove the dams or breach them, remove them, whatever they want to do. And so that's our main issue. And so we have pretty good speakers, like we have some council members, some elders that are going to talk down here. And they give um, here, I don't know for sure about the rest of them, because I've been kind of working on other stuff and this. But um, they're usually talking about what the salmon mean to the people, the culture and the history. Like I was um, saying mm -hmm. before, you know, salmon is a big staple of our diet. And, mm -hmm. you know, albeit we may not eat salmon with every meal like we used to, you know, salmon and whatever. But it's like an important part to us of our culture. And so we want to try That's why we're trying to bring attention. This is really to bring attention to it, like get in the newspaper. Hey, this is what's happening. We're trying to tell people to learn more about it. What's happening? Why is like you say, why it's important to us. It's, it's important to everyone. I mean, it's important to the mm. tribe, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of other people up down, down the river, up river that need want to eat fish. And then we need that water clean and, and running cold for fish, not just for us. We have a treaty, right? But for other people too, there's a lot of people have joined us that care just as much about it. And they may not have a treaty, right? But that's what we're working together with them, a bunch of different, all kinds of different groups to push for dam breaching because we want to have salmon in that river, whether you're a, a non-Indian that homesteaded in salmon Idaho or Riggins, Idaho, and you like to fish and with your kids, your grandfather fish, things like that. It's similar to us, but right, right, right now we have a treaty, right? And so we're pushing that, but we have a lot of other supporters that are really committed to the cause. And so that's really nice to see because it's not a racial thing. People want salmon mm -hmm. and they feel that, you know, the, the other interest, you know, the barging people that make money off bar, it's all really <laughs> highly subsidized too by the taxpayers. So that's kind of a ridiculous, you know, cause they're getting a reduced price for the wheat shipping and we're, what are we getting out of most of that wheat's going to Japan or overseas? So it's like, how does that benefit us when mm -hmm. we're paying for the taxpayer money is paying for the like those dams are expensive to fix. Those locks are expensive. The turbines are really expensive, millions of dollars. And so, you know, I think before no one just really said anything about it, you know, because everyone was like I said, sometimes people get just like complacent. Oh, it's all right. Yeah, it's OK. We'll just, you know, like with the salmon fishermen here, like for our tribe, you know, they kind of just, they'll bitch about not getting no salmon, but they, you know, now we're doing something about it. They know that we have to do something about it. We can't just bitch about it. And then, oh yeah, okay. We're going to bitch about no salmon and go and wait till next year. And then we'll do the same thing. To me, that's where you don't get anywhere. If you just sit on your, hey, just say it's sit on your <laughs> ass and expect anything to change, you know, it's not just going to change. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. But this, these are events to bring attention to the whole issue, particularly really up here is because the salmon spawn up here and then they go back to the ocean, come back. So there's all along mm -hmm. the line, the Columbia, upper Columbia snake, um, snake. So we're just trying to bring attention to the events here. Like I said, the ours is yeah. October or September 30th in near Lewiston Hell's Gate Park. So we're going to have a pretty okay. good turnout. Yeah, that's great. You know, I find it so interesting because I started to, you know, look at y'all's website and, you know, I watched a few <laughs> videos and um, I feel like as a kid attending public school, we learned about salmon, 
you know, and how it was just so amazing that, you know, they would return to their birthplace. Like we learned that it was something that, you know, even though it wasn't necessarily a tribal thing or a, um, a spiritual thing, it was kind of like, this is a really cool example of something in nature. Um, and my kids were learning about it recently. Um, but we're not hearing anything about how dams are being built. Right. And really making it impossible for salmon to go back to where they were born, even though kids are being taught that that's like such a cool thing, right? Spirituality and culture aside, like it's something people always talk about is like, oh, salmon, this is what salmon do. And this is, you know, and and it's just so fascinating to me, you know, because I feel like my kids would probably be like, you don't want to do that. We just learned that salmon are so incredible. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be funny if they told their teacher that. Hey, okay, teacher, I was, <laughs> good idea. Because <laughs> I've talked, it's pretty cool because I've talked to some um, schools like at uh, Richland, Washington. That's about maybe three hours. That's over towards on the Columbia or close upper Columbia. But I've talked to some because I often wonder, like some, because some people, they, if you talk about breaching dams, man, they'll like go after you or go. Mm. And it's cool. The teachers, like even in uh, Stanley, Idaho or Boise, a charter school, the woman wanted me to talk about water and salmon. About like how we view it or how I view it as a tribal member, and, and over in Richland, I talked to some schools. It's pretty cool because I've talked to some younger uh, kids, and they ask interesting questions. But I like that because they're exposing them to kind of modern issues. And I know the it's it just to me in Idaho, like the K through twelve is really, you know, now they have this. Idaho is a big against CRT you know, banning books, oh. firing librarians, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And it's just really strange because I live in Washington, but Idaho, our tribes in Idaho, the, the reservation. So it's kind of weird to think like they don't want to teach about the Indians. What happened to the Indians? You know, where they go? Are they still here? Where do they live? You know, things like that. A lot of people don't know that. And even people here in Pullman, they don't. The one time this lady, it was funny because she's really nice. I think her husband taught at Wazoo, a prof, and she said, oh, Julian, I, we just went down to Navajo Reservation. It was really interesting to go there. And I told, I didn't tell her. I said, I was going to say, well, there's a reservation 45 miles south of here. Why don't you just go down there? But <laughs> like, it was funny because yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's it just, uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting because like when the, well, like, you know, you, if you're a member of a group, you know, what you learn, it's different than just being like, because I tell people, it's like, I'm a citizen of the tribe. I'm a member of the state or a citizen of the state of Washington, I'm a citizen of the United States. So that's three things that I'm a member of. And growing up, my experience as a tribal member is pretty unique. Like I'm not just like a middle-class white guy that grew up and, you know, learned about Indians. I mean, well, you, you know how it is. It's like people, mm-hmm. how they view you, you know, like, yeah, like, cause I've seen things that, you know, like even with some, like I said, um, sometimes you hear things that people say, about groups and it's like I don't like it, it you know and I'll speak up now I'll tell people don't don't generalize you know you can't generalize I mean like all mm-hmm. Indians aren't good you know all Hispanics aren't good all blacks aren't good but you can't you know like actually this one Sierra Club guy or a volunteer in Montana was saying he's talking about the uh, we, we can hunt buffalo or not hunt them but we can get buffalo shoot and kill buffalo and hunt them I guess over in uh, Yellowstone and he was saying something about it like I really, I'm really appalled at the tribal hunt over there. There's so many gut piles. That's where you got the animal. Leave the gut pile there, and and things like that. And then I told my boss, uh, she's in, uh, my job with the Sierra Club. I said that was really offensive to me, man. And what tribe was it? There's a bunch of tribes that go over. Don't just say the tribal hunt. 
you know, like I'm a tribal ref. I've gotten, you know, but things like that where they don't, I wish they get rid of the guy because if you think like that, you know, he's some tourist guy or takes tourists down there. I said, don't go there then. That's, you know, because it's just like, like my brother and I hunt, like I don't put pictures of what I got on my Facebook. I don't tell people I got a bull, you know, but some people do that. And I don't, I don't believe in that because I don't, because it's just like, to me, it's just like they say, when that animal's given its life for you, for your sustenance, you want to be respectful. It's not like a trophy mm-hmm. hunt, but some tribal members are like that. They'll walk, drive around with a big rack on their, you know, you know, shot a big bull elk. Yeah. When we started our group, we said, we're going to keep this going and we're not going to like back off or, oh, well, we did, you know, like one and done, I call it, you know, do one thing and yeah. it's great. And then you're done. But it's more, you got to be sustainable and committed. It's just like this thing with the kids. We've been doing this six years now. And, you know, I didn't realize last year, I thought, wow, we've been doing this five years because it goes by, but it's a good thing. But it's just interesting because we just decide we're going to do it. And I decide I'm going to do it and we're going to get people that are going to do it. And we have really good people that come there with the kids every Wednesday, volunteers. And it's really nice to have that because um, the community likes it. The kids really love it. They love coming over there. They want to come over there. So that's really cool because it's outside, you know, and they do arts and crafts and paddle making. It's yeah. When we get a, once we get going out, I put the pictures on our Facebook so you can see some of the kids with their paddles and stuff. It's pretty cool. They paint them up now really nice and it's really cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different approaches, right? I think what you're mentioning as far as other movements and how, you know, they're one and done or it's a very short lived kind of thing right in the moment when it's the hot topic, when it's all over the news, people want to get involved. But that work that y'all are doing right with youth, with kids, with communities that's really what can create some really sustainable change. Cause at that point you're working with generations of people who, you know, their longevity and, and you're instilling within them the value system um, that is teaching them something different to what they're seeing on TV, what they're learning in public or even private school, right? It's, it's teaching them a different way that there isn't just the, you know, quote unquote American way that there's other ways of life that in in some ways are are much better uh than yeah. what we're learning every single day yeah and that's what um i've also learned when i was in the navy going to different countries like they have a most countries i went to whether it's philippines or mexico they have their they have a culture i personally don't feel u.s has a culture i mean they have music and stuff but it's not really like dress music language you know here it's kind of um tribal culture some but they've really distorted it now because you know, the assimilation of the mixture and with the races and stuff. But um, I think a lot of people still like, we still sweat, do sweat lodge on my friend's house and um, have powwows, war dances, they call them actually, and um, different activities and events that are trying to keep the culture. And the canoe is something that's important too, to our culture. And, you know, we're trying to do things that help the kids be creative and also continue the culture, learn about the culture because, you know, a lot of the kids, they don't, you know, it's like I told them, I never learned how to carve a canoe when I was little. So that's pretty cool. Or doing, you know, beadwork or featherwork. We have tribal people come over and teach them beadwork or featherwork because those are important things too. So we're just trying to give them a well-rounded activities so they can learn about the tribe, whether they're tribal or not, you know, some are non-Indian, some are other tribes, some are Nespers or Nimipu, but, um, but like you're saying, it's mainly getting the people going. And yeah, now we start hiring some of the kids that are out of the program to come back and show the kids, like, kind of like as uh, teachers or instructors, 
we pay them to come back and and work with the kids too. So it's kind of create, it's kind of like a mentoring program, I guess. Yeah. But that's what I'm trying to do is really sustainable model, right. Of, you know, with you're able to work with people and kids for a long extended period of time. Um, Yeah. Like imagine how much change they can make when they're really starting out young, realizing that the world needs some work <laughs> and then that, that they, then that they can be the one that puts in. Yeah. Yeah. Work. See, and that's exactly what we're trying to yeah. do is say that you can do this. I did this. We did this. You can do this. You can do whatever you want, basically, because I think that's what I was thinking yesterday when I was driving. A lot of these kids, they don't, their parents don't give them any dreams. You know, they don't like, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? You know, like, and that, and I think that's the reservation life is, Kind of like that where it's it's a setup you know they all do good they have a basketball and football teams but then they do that a lot of them go to college drop out some do complete a lot more are completing it now but i think that's what we need to instill in these kids is dreams like what's your dream what do you dream about what do you want to be you know whatever it is you can do whatever you want and you know that's what we're trying to instill in them that you know you don't have mm. to just sit on the res and work for the tribe and you know blah 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 and live in a public housing hud home and i think that's your life you know like kind of like where you're faded to that rather than go out and make your own do your own thing and make it happen like like we're doing now you know we have the land we have a nice place we have electric we're gonna get wi-fi at our outside site i think so um should be cool yeah well thank you so much julian for coming on and sharing just um your story and what y'all are working on you know best wishes um and all the good vibes and prayers for the work that y'all are doing i can imagine how hard it is going against you know some of these big corporations and uh folks that you are but you know it's it's really necessary work yeah it's true i think we can do it i'm just continuing to push and make a commitment be responsible and keep doing what we're doing and i think it'll change you know like (laughs) because <laughs> they'll give up and that's what i always believe people if you keep pushing them they'll give up you know <laughs> it's just who outlasts right yeah <laughs> who lasts yeah the longest? One, yeah whoever lasts the longest gonna win so <laughs> i ain't gonna quit that, that's what this one woman <laughs> this one woman we work with she asked me what happens if they don't reach the down i didn't even say nothing to her you're like it do- that's that doesn't happen <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> that just what did you happen. just say i hear what you said so yeah so thanks a lot oh, for great. having me on here Cecilia, yeah of course it. yeah have okay. a great evening okay, thank you, you. okay bye 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 the inner community peace and justice center is sponsored by 24 catholic religious congregations Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.